Hello and welcome to another episode of The Modern Nerd. My name is Tim Bolin and I am, as always, a massive nerd. So this week I've got a very special episode for you. Uh, someone I can consider my friend. Uh, I met him at a convention about eight years ago. Uh, his name is Caleb King. He's out of Chicago, Illinois, uh, and he is a writer, artist, uh, painter, a musician, uh, and I got some time to sit down, talk to him about his story, uh, how he started getting into art, uh, how he got into comics, uh, the highs and the lows of the comic book industry. I mean, we go into like professional conflicts, we go into creative highs, we go into uh, style changes, how he changed over the years from one uh, uh, type of art to another. Uh, we talk basic fandom, uh, the fine details of comic books, uh, we go into Star Wars, we go into everything. So uh, I really think you're going to enjoy this one. Uh, he's got a great story. Uh, we have a lot of fun talking. I, I could go on for hours with this guy. Uh, and I know I say that a lot, but uh, I really am excited for this one. And I hope you guys enjoy it. So uh, strap in and enjoy. This is Caleb King. All right, my friend. Uh, why don't you introduce yourself uh, so that everybody knows who you are and who I'm talking to here? Yeah, man. sure. Uh, my name is Caleb King. I am an illustrator uh, out of Chicago, Illinois. I live just south of the city in a town called Joliet. Uh, I do work for uh, Marvel, uh, Lucasfilm. I do some Disney work. Uh, I've done a bunch of stuff for like Tops, Cryptozoic, Upper Deck, uh, Netflix, Hulu, a bunch of companies. Uh, I do paintings and drawings for fun. Yay. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Um, and I definitely want to get into more of like what you did for all those things down the line. Uh, but yeah. uh, I want to go in a little brief history. We met, uh, man, it's been like five or six years a while ago. I think it was like 2011 or 2012 at my first wizard world. Uh, you yeah. had a table next to me or down the way. I think you were like one or two away. Uh, you sure. Were with some other people at the time. Um, and so, uh, we met and then we've kind of kept in touch. I did comics for a while, uh, nothing too much. Uh, and I saw you kind of grow from, you know, just someone selling their own personal comic to now you're doing your top thing. I'm seeing a lot is like the work with tops and ultra Fleer and like all that stuff for the cards. Right. Uh, plus your, your own personal thing, the iconic, which I think is fantastic. I have sitting on my dresser right now with a customized piece that I love so much. Thank you. Um, <laughs> You're welcome. So, uh, you, you've been drawing and doing art for a while and I know you started as something, uh, your style was a little different right now. You're doing those watercolors. Um, why don't you take me back, taking me as far back as you can remember with what kind of sure. influenced you as far as artwork, uh, comic books, all that kind of stuff. Sure. Uh, when I was younger, my dad, um, like younger, you know, and ever since I've, I've got a memory, my dad uh, loved to paint and draw. And he did mainly like, he has like a, a love for World War II era stuff. So he did uh, like tons of airplanes and tanks. Uh, he wasn't very uh, proficient with people though. So he would just draw and paint like, you know, these really cool battle scenes and things like that. And in my head, there are these epic paintings. Uh, I'm sure if I saw them now, they would be different because, you know, when you're a child and you have memories of things, you, you pour all your imagination into that as well. And that kind of becomes embedded with the memory. So uh, it's just fascinating to me how that, how that works, but not regardless, uh, he would do these and I would, I would see this and I, I would just get lost in it. Uh, and he always did it with watercolor, uh, mainly, he said, because, you know, the drawing is always there when you do a watercolor. So you can't really cover up your drawing. It's always there. Nice. Very nice. Uh, so you got a lot of that from your dad. Did uh, did you start reading comics uh, early at that age as well? I'm, I'm sorry? Did you start reading comic books at that age early as well? Yeah. I mean, uh, like he always had old copies of like heavy metal magazine, nice. which, uh, you know, he never really wanted us to look at, you know, for obvious reasons, if you've ever picked up heavy metal. Um, but, sure. uh, you know, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it, it was fascinating. So I was always seeing these visual stories, um, you know, told in, in like comic book form. Um, but it really wasn't until I was, I would say, um, early high school where I actually got into comic books. I had a, a friend who had, 
copies of like Spider-Man 300 and the nice. Todd McFarlane era uh, Spider-Man books. And uh, so he, he would like, I would go to his house and he would like, literally, I don't know why he would hide them where he did, because I don't know if his parents didn't like him or not, but he would literally like slide them out from the back behind his dresser. Like he was pulling out like a bag of weed or something like, <laughs> Hey dude, check this out, you know? And <laughs> I'd be like, there'd be, you know, this, this thing. And then um, eventually he started buying like the early image books. So he introduced me to spawn and uh, had like the first four or five copies of that. Uh, and I just was like, Whoa, like, what is this? You know, uh, and, uh, started working a job and then literally I would get paid and I'd go right to the comic book store, uh, and be like, all right, what can I get with my week's paycheck? You know, and just started buying stuff up and then drawing more from that because that was inspiring me to, to draw these characters and all this stuff. And, uh, eventually it just grew into, um, a real obsession and a real passion. Very nice. Um, so you go from there, uh, doing that all, buying all the comics and, and everything. Um, when did you start kind of working on your own? Like, uh, I believe the title was surreality. I do yeah. have the first uh, trade. I love it. It's fantastic. Uh, did, did you write that? Yeah. Um, basically, uh, between when, you know, I started really getting obsessed with comics and, and drawing, uh, you know, sketching constantly, like in my high school years, um, one of the things that I was doing kind of, uh, alongside that is I was obsessed with, with music as most teenagers are. Uh, and I really, really wanted to learn to play the guitar. Uh, my parents had, uh, really kind of, made me play piano for a long time because my mom wanted us to play the piano, which was fine. Um, but I was like, you know, in this phase where I was being rebellious about it and I didn't want to play it because, you know, I had this perception that it was just an uncool instrument. Sure. Um, and, uh, I wanted the guitar. So eventually she, she got me a guitar and I started learning to play. Um, and that was another obsession of mine. So between drawing and music, I was just constantly, uh, stuck with my head in the arts. And, uh, eventually, uh, I chose the path of music, uh, and started, uh, I went to college for music and studied music theory and music history and jazz and classical guitar. and did uh, a lot of that. Uh, and eventually went on tour with my band, uh, and, and we toured all over the country and had, um, had a record contract and then that one kind of collapsed and then we got another record contract <laughs> and all with really indie indie labels. You know, we were a nobody band, uh, but we worked really hard and um, had uh, good heads on our shoulders. So the labels really liked that about us, that they weren't just going to sign this band and suddenly they were just going to sit around, wait for the label to do all this work. We were like, no, 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 we're going to do all the work. You just point us in the direction and give us radio airplay and pay for our record. We don't even need you other than that. Um, and uh, they kind of liked that. So, um, yeah, we lived on the road, but I always had comics and I always had um, uh, my sketchbook with me. So I drew uh, in the bus in between gigs and uh, downtime at the shows uh, and, and whatnot. And so, yeah, man, when I finally like settled down to not tour anymore, uh, it was was like, all right, now what am I going to do with this? And I decided I was going to uh, go back to school uh, and pursue another degree in illustration and started doing that. And it was in college that I really started developing my own original characters and uh, like the, the kernels of what would later become like surreality and um, some stories that actually I'm working on today. Nice. So yeah. What year would you say you went back? Like how long have you been uh, uh, working on the comics and the drawing? Sure. So I would say like what eventually became surreality started in around 2004, 2005. Oh, wow. um, and I just, I, I've always been fascinated and attracted to uh, people who are kind of like, um, you know, uh, iconoclasts, um, you know, people who just don't follow the rules, don't break the rules, kind of make their own way. Um, that something about that resonates with me as a human. 
And so I've always been attracted to like women with weird haircuts and people who have like, you know, um, now everybody's got tattoos, but you know, when, you know, back in 2004, you know, it wasn't definitely as in your face as it is like now. Sure. Um, and people, I think were still pushing for the idea that tattoos don't mean you're you know, trashy or like in a biker gang or something. <laughs> yeah, definitely. You know, um, so I would, you know, draw girls with weird piercings and, uh, and tattoos and stuff. And I kept drawing this one girl over and over who later became the, the main character of surreality. Uh, her name is Sydney. And, uh, and so then I'm, I, I just kept going like, who is this girl? Why do I keep drawing her? Um, you know, she's evolved throughout my drawings of her, but I kept going, I keep coming back to her. So let's give her, let's give her some background. Let's give her a story. Uh, and then, well, people don't, I live in isolation. You know, we all have people that we, uh, that we hang out with and that help mold and shape us. And so I created other characters uh, to kind of, you know, flesh her out and to be, you know, the push and pull for her character to help create the, you know, any real story. So, uh, and it kind of grew out of there and eventually surreality became, um, it started as a web comic, uh, when, and then eventually when I had enough, uh, paper, uh, or, you know, pages lined up, we made a, a printed copy of that. And, um, and then, you know, internal changes over time, you know, happened sure. as you, you asked if I wrote the book. Yeah. I, I was primarily the creator and the writer. And then I worked with, um, um, illustrator, uh, Carla was Gala and, uh, our colorist was Kat Guevara. And, uh, those are some friends of mine. And, uh, but just eventually there was, uh, some differences in, you know, how the story was going to go and some of the business side of things. So we just decided sure. to, to part ways, uh, with Carla and, um, and, uh, with Kat. And then I brought in my, uh, another buddy of mine, Nicholas, uh, who lives down in Argentina and me and Nick oh, wow. were doing it, doing it for a while, but then things, you know, just kind of, uh, kind of puttered out for a while. And so it's, it's been an indefinite hiatus for a while. Um, but we probably had, oh my goodness, <laughs> I'm guessing just trying to think back, we probably had about 200, 250 pages of surreality story up to that point. Um, and we're planning on releasing a second volume, but, um, but when that was all going down, right. When we were, you know, having the internal kind of, uh, I want, I don't want to say drama, but the internal turmoil sure. of what are we going to do with this book and this story? And, um, and so, uh, but the, the good news there is that I am planning on completely rebooting it from scratch oh, and, wow. um, and incorporating lots of what happened in the original story and re-releasing it uh, with some, you know, modern and some fresh uh, editing and, uh, so hopefully that comes out soon. Fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I loved the first one. Um, it's funny rehearing this cause I was around for like the whole, uh, creating of this and when you guys were working on it and then the, you know, the unfortunate split and everything. Cause I really did love the comic and everything. And, and we yeah. talked about this, uh, you know, ad nauseum at one point, uh, I sure. think at a convention you and I, so I remember hearing it. Thanks for sharing that again. Um, yeah. so, um, you're doing all this, uh, you're working on surreality ups and downs and everything and, and, and all that. Um, when was it that you kind of started working on like, uh, uh, the, the cards all like the tops and everything like that for, and it's just through tops basically. And they kind of give you uh different, um, IPs to work on. Is that kind of how it goes? Or is it like you're reached out through, cause I know you've done some like star Wars. I've seen some Marvel and DC and everything. Is it just kind of like, right. Hey, we're doing this. Would you like to do that? Can you work on these and everything like that? Tell me a little sure. bit as much as you can about, about how that kind of oh, process yeah. starts. Yeah. I, um, I'll have to back up just a tiny bit to kind of lead up to it or it won't make any Please. sense. <laughs> yeah, no, <that's, laughs> um, sure. So kind of right when surreality was starting to fall apart was right around 2015, um, uh, kind of the end of 2014, beginning of 2015. And, uh, you know, when, when we finally broke it off, um, like Carla and I, you know, and, and we went our separate ways and, um, and, uh, we, we were still working together at conventions and stuff, but the tensions were a little high, uh, and we, we, we weren't exactly happy with each other. And, which was really disappointing to me because I, I had always, um, 
you know, from my perspective, I had done everything that I could to preserve uh, surreality as a as a viable property and and uh, as a, as a comic. And uh, you know, I made mistakes. We all do. There's no there is no uh, rule book necessarily for how to how to do all of this. And uh, with it being both our first projects, uh, like major projects like that, and a collaboration, you know, lots of mistakes were made throughout. Um, throughout things. Uh, the good, the good thing is, is, you know, we have since made up and things are fine between oh, us good. again. I'm and, very good. Yeah, Glad yeah, to I, hear that actually. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> she, she was not like, you know, hundred percent to blame. Neither was I. It's, it's a, it's a mistake of both, of both parties. Um, and sure, there was everybody. a lot of, the, yeah, of course, right. It's <laughs> like any relationship. Uh, it takes two or more to tango. Yeah, business relationship is like stronger than a marriage. It needs to be you, you know more about each other than your wife and and or husband at that point because you just you have to t- discuss every little detail or it's just going to kind of explode in your faces because one thing will be assumed and and all that. Yeah. So and then see and that's what happened. We started we I think we both started assuming and we weren't communicating in the ways that the other person was needing and it just kind of cascaded and, and, you know, kept tumbling, tumbling until finally, you know, tensions were super high and, um, and it was just time to, time to move on, um, for the sake of everybody. And after a few years of kind of not, we didn't communicate for several years. And then, uh, finally it was just like, you know what, I'm tired of, uh, not talking to you and I'm tired of feeling like I've, uh, ruined, you know, your life in some way, because I don't, I can't talk to you. I don't understand how this is going. And, um, we communicated and, uh, things are fine. You know, it's great again. So it's, you know, yay, that part of life is over. But, um, but during that time with all of that turmoil I had, um, and with surreality kind of, uh, going on hiatus, I really started to have this creative moment where I was like, well, now what do I do? I have put everything I had for the last several years into this one project and these one group of uh, collaborators. And now it's like, well, where do I go from here? Um, And I was severely unhappy and I got really depressed about it. And uh, so really what happened was, is I remember um, I had a, a convention coming up. It was about six weeks away and so I'm starting to, I'm looking at like, what prints do I need to have made and this? Cause I had a small little smattering of like some fan art and some stuff that I was selling. And I was just so profoundly unhappy. I literally uh, took it all out of my studio, all the originals that I had, all of the, um, the prints that I had, everything. And I just walked into a dumpster and just chucked them all in the dumpster. Get out, really? Uh, oh yeah, totally. I, I, you know, some people make a big, I've seen several artists who go on, <laughs> they'll go on Facebook, like I'm going to burn these prints unless people buy them. I'm, I'm done with this. And then they're like, oh, this feels so good to burn it. And they're videoing it. And I'm like, that, that's just another thing to me to fuel the, the individual artist's ego. So I, I sure. didn't need that. I'm, I'm already depressed and unhappy with what I'm doing. I don't need to go set it on fire and act like I'm going to rise from the ashes like this. Cause I just really didn't know. Um, and if I was going to rise from the ashes, I was thinking of quitting altogether. And, uh, so I literally took it all, chucked it and then sat down and went, okay, I've got, um, I've got six weeks until a show and I have no idea what I'm going to do. It's time to start getting creative. Uh, and it was during that time that I kind of established like Dexter, had the, the, the serial killer TV show, dude, he had these rules that would kind of guide him uh, guide his behavior. If you've ever seen the show, you know what I'm talking about. Um, so he didn't just, first episode. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he had these kind of like these rules that were set up to help him channel his, um, that need to kill into a, a list of parameters. So he wasn't just killing anybody. Um, and so creatively I felt like I needed some parameters myself. And so I established some rules for myself to avoid the pitfalls that I had gotten myself into. Um, One one of those things was like, I'm not going to chase trends. So I'm not like if everybody's painting Deadpool almost as a rule, I'm just not going to do that um, because uh, it doesn't, it, it's just me going down a path trying to squeeze dollars out of people. And that's not what I wanted to do this for. Sure. Um, So there was that rule. I'm only going to paint and draw what I'm extremely passionate about, what I can talk about. Uh, and then I'm only going to paint or draw um, 
in a way that I would be proud to hang it on my own wall. So I'm not going to, you know, put out junk. I'm not going to just, you know, paint whatever's coming around and make a quick uh, cash grab. I want, I want all of this to go out with my name on it and me feel proud about that. Sure. And so I started, it. yeah, man. I mean, cause like the only thing you really have is your name. I mean, money comes and goes and, and friends uh, unfortunately come and go, but um, it, all we have as a, as a person at the end is, is, is our word and, uh, and the work that we've done, the actions that we've, we've done in this life. And I, did my cash grab stuff. You know, I, I did the, the trendy fan art stuff and it was leading me down that path of, of sadness. And, uh, I didn't want to go back there. Sure. So yeah, I started doing this, uh, I started doing it, uh, that way and started creating these drip paintings that I do now. Um, because I, I just loved it. Uh, I loved the idea of chaos and control. Uh, and after doing several of those for a while, um, uh, you know, I had built up a nice little Star Wars collection of fan art and yeah. I had start, uh, started building up some, some Disney work and some, uh, Marvel work. Didn't and, it start uh, with the, what was it? The Boba Fett or was it the Boba Fett? Yeah, man. Yeah. He was the first one I ever did. I remember. Um, That's I just, a good one. Oh, uh, thanks. Uh, it was just a scrap sheet of paper in my studio when I was literally staring at the wall going, what do I want to do? How am I going to? only paint things that I would want to hang on my wall. Like, how does that work? You know? Um, and I just started kind of back to basics. I'm going to do a, a painting of something I've never painted before, but I've always loved and that's Boba Fett. So I'm going to sit and I'm going to paint it, but I have this weird sheet of paper. So let's see what I can come up with. And uh, when I was done with it, I posted it on Facebook and was like, um, Hey, what do you guys think? Is this cool at all? And I got the biggest reaction of anything I'd ever done at that time. Nice. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was it was blowing me away. I mean, I'm super um, glad you did it. I saw, you know, I, I saw surreality. I saw everything you were doing up and before that, and I loved it. Don't get me wrong; you're you have a very versatile style. You can do many different things. And then I saw you bring the uh, um, the uh, Boba Fett, and I think you had um, Stormtrooper maybe as well. But you brought it to yeah. that convention back in like 2014 or 15. It was right before I moved away from Chicago. And I saw it and I was like, this is phenomenal. Like it was your own setup, your own table. You had, you didn't have a ton of prints at the time, but you were selling right. them like crazy. Um, we talked for like, I don't know, like half hour just standing at your table and like people were coming up and I was like, hold on, I'm talking. Okay. But um, we, <laughs> right. we uh, uh, I loved seeing the transformation and, and, and seeing you come back and get back on your feet. Cause I had, you know, been there right. a little bit through everything. And, and I just was like, this is fantastic. And to see it go, uh to where it is now man i just you know i love it i'm, I'm fantastic i feel so much pride for you no um <laughs> well thank so, you thank you it's, yeah. you know it's uh it's it's been a weird trip man because you know i i have always defaulted to kind of being insecure about what i do um and and over the time that I toured with my band i started gaining more self confidence and um but when i stepped back into the art world all of that confidence went kind of reset back to zero because now I'm starting uh, a new skill set, so to speak, you know, and I would always drawn for myself as I had mentioned earlier, but um, now I'm competing with people who went through all high school art and all of the people in college at the time, my, all my peers were 10 years younger than me. Um, and everything is like, I'm the older guy in class and I don't know where my skills line up, uh, you know, with them. So everything I did, was not as good, I always felt, as the others around me. Um, and I always felt like I was behind the eight ball. So then even venturing into the convention world, I always felt like everybody's more developed than me. Everybody's better at this than I am. And it, um, uh, and that even played into surreality. You know, I writing this book, but now I'm not even drawing it. So I hope I'm a good writer. And oh my gosh, I mean, there's all like, all of these really like, negative emotions, all my worst qualities, as far as uh, my insecurities and stuff came out in me during that time. So this, these new paintings, and finally just, you know, saying, screw it, I'm going to be who I am, for good or bad. And if nobody likes these things, then at least I can say that this is 100% me. Yeah. And this isn't, uh, this isn't any other 
person's ideas or whatever. This is just me, my interpretations of the things that I love. And uh, it that did it almost uh, almost overnight. I mean, it was like a big difference. Like people were genuinely giving me, um, you know, comments that were just so, so needed for me, you know, at the time. And uh, it helped me to overcome a lot of personal issues, just knowing that I, I did it. I did something on my own with nobody else's assistance that really, uh, and that people loved it. And a lot of my peers were, were very warm and like, I love this, man. I didn't know you had this in you kind of stuff. And um, it was just, it was great. Yeah. Uh, and so riding high on that horse, uh, after a couple of years, I wanted a few more, you know, professional published credits uh, yeah. to my belt. And so I submitted a lot of my Star Wars work, um, the drip paintings to, to tops. Cause I had like, you know what, you guys, I know, um, I know you have the Star Wars license and I want to work on Star Wars stuff. So, um, a buddy of mine worked in, worked with tops and, uh, you know, kind of reached out for me and, uh, did like a virtual handshake in an email. Uh, and I didn't hear anything for three months. Jesus. Uh, no, no, sorry. No, yeah. I mean, yeah, it was like three months. I'm trying to sit there going like, how much was it? Was it three weeks? No, it's three months. <laughs> that's that's uh, got nerve wracking. Yeah. Yeah. Because it wasn't even like a response to the email. It was just like silence. So I'm like, well, that didn't work. Oof. So I'm just going about my business one day and suddenly I get this email like, Oh, Hey, Hey Caleb, this is such and such over at tops. And you know, I'm so sorry. I didn't get back to you. I've been, we've been swamped with things like that. But they're like, we love your work and wanted to offer you a chance to work on this star Wars set. And my mind literally just exploded, you know, out the back of my head. It was, it was like, yeah, yeah, yeah let's work together. How about this? Here's a job. And I was like, Oh my goodness, that's amazing. And yeah. Uh, and I've been working with him ever since done some cool work on like, um, the, uh, the last Jedi trading cards, uh, for the tie in with the movie. And I've done work for the solo set, uh, tons of other like non movie specific sets, sure. um, as well. But, um, Oh man, I mean, it's, it's just been a blast. I, I never thought I would ever be able to draw stormtroopers with all of their accurate details, like screen accurate details from memory. Uh, but I have drawn so many stormtroopers, uh, I could do it in my sleep. <laughs> uh, and that's great, you know. So, so working with those guys is great. Uh, and then I, you know, branched off and I do work with Upper Deck, which is a separate company. Sure. They, hold the, they hold the Marvel license right now. Um, and so I've done a lot of movie tie-in stuff with them, like Guardians of the Galaxy, Spider-Man, Thor, um, uh, the Avengers, X-Men, bunches of stuff um, with those guys. Uh, and then I've done work with uh, Cryptozoic Entertainment, who uh, they do things like the DC Bombshells uh, stuff, which is like the you know 1930s, 20s and 30s, like pinup style um, yeah. era stuff. Yeah, my uh, uh, my, uh, my first convention was uh, I think it was Aunt Lucia. I think is his oh name. yeah, and yep. he was the one. Uh, it, and I may be you know I may need to fact check myself, but I'm pretty sure that he was one of the first people to design those characters. And yes, I was, I was talking to him, and uh, I was like, "That's awesome, man! You must be rolling in it." He's like, "Nah, I was under contract, so I got paid for my work, and I don't get any residuals." And I was like, "Ugh." <laughs> Yes, that's, that's the life of a contract artist, apparently. So, you know, but I mean, I was, it's cool to know him too. And then to see that it all comes around full circle and you get to work on it. That's kind of awesome, actually. Yeah. I mean, it's fun. I get to kind of riff on the, you know, the designs that, that he laid down and uh, that have been developed into, you know, they have like the bombshells comics and stuff now too, which is so sweet. So there's like this whole world, you know, you can go and play in. And uh, so I got a chance to work on that set. Uh, and then I've done work on seasons one through three of Rick and Morty. Uh, I've done work for another card company called RR Parks. They're a smaller independent company, but uh, I've worked on like Mystery Science Theater 3000. Nice. Shark, Sharknado of all stuff. Uh, you know, <laughs> that's, and that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, just, just you know, the, the life of a, fr a freelance artist. But uh, once it was like, once I got one gig, it was a lot easier to get the others, but it was getting that first gig. That was the hardest because no credentials. Um, 
you know, it's harder to convince other people to take a chance on you. Sure. Uh, but, but once you've got the portfolio and, and like, oh, hey, I've worked with this company, look at that. And then they're like, all right, now I can see your work and see what you're good at. And you, yeah. you're a passionate person and everything. So, um, and then, uh, so you, I, I, I'm looking at some of your stuff on your Facebook and, and Instagram and, and it's mentioning you did work with like Netflix. Is that like your uh, Stranger Things? Did you do like cards for them? Is that what that was? Yeah, yeah, I've done a lot of stuff. Uh, I've done a couple of Stranger Things sets for, uh, again, that's a tops license. Sure. So it's like, the, you know, the way typically these kinds of things work is tops acts as a middleman. Mm-hmm. They are the, the company that is actually the light, they are a licensee. Um, so they paid Netflix for the license to do that. So they have um, rules that they have to follow. Um, and so basically, I do the work. I'm contracted through Tops, so it's kind of like, a, you know, a, a chain system going on here. Um, so Tops reaches out and says, "Hey, we want you to produce sketch cards." Um, which, for anybody who doesn't know, they're they're trading card sized original pieces of art. So um, they fit inside the normal trading card packs, and uh, they're the same size. So we have to draw, you know, small little masterpieces on these things. Um, and each company has different criteria for what they're looking for, uh, for those. Some of them, like Upper Deck, everything has to be in full color. So we're not allowed to produce just like line work or pencil sketches or anything like that. Everything has to be fully drawn, fully colored. Excuse me, I'm burping here. That happens. Um, excuse me. I'll leave it in. Don't uh, worry. I'll embarrass yeah. you this whole podcast. <laughs> It'll be fine. It's perfect. Perfect. Um, yeah, the so, real uh, Caleb. No. <laughs> the, will the real Caleb please burp? Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, so Upper Deck needs everything to be uh, full colored, full painted, full marker, whatever. Uh, tops, you can just do basically. You could just do everything in pencil if you wanted to, um, and or anywhere in between, right? So, Got it. Uh, but when you're working for a licensor. Uh, like uh, Netflix, they have specific criteria. Like they want these cards to look like, you know, if you're painting 11, they want it to look like Millie Bobby Brown. You right. Know, if you're, if you're, you're, you're painting Mike or you're drawing Mike, it needs to look like Finn Wolfhart and so on and so forth. Sure. Um, and Lucasfilm is extremely picky. They're the same way. They really want your characters to look like, the characters from the movies. So you can't just jot off a quick, you know, little personal rendition of Obi-Wan Kenobi. If he's unrecognizable uh, as Obi-Wan, they're going to reject that card and that's their right. And that's, you know, that's, that's just the way it works. Um, But, you know, when I do my work, I send it to tops and then tops goes on behalf of me and all the other artists working for that. And they send those to Netflix. And so Netflix has to sign off on everything. So you may be contracted and you'll do all this work and do everything and it may not ever actually go to print. Correct. But do you get paid for your work? I mean, I'm assuming you do. Different companies act differently. Some companies, uh, I won't name names, sure. but some companies will pay you flat out for your work. You did, you know, X number of cards and we promised in the contract that it was this much money per card. So you're going to get here's your fat check, you know, or your not fat check, depending <laughs> on, sure. on how much you did or, you know, all those things. Um, then there are other companies who will only pay you uh, for what gets approved. Hmm. So if you, you know, say you do a hundred cards, I've seen people who did a hundred cards uh, get every last one of them rejected. Rough. Just flat out their entire set rejected. Now, granted, we're talking two plus hours per card for the work. So you're talking 200 hours, you know, roughly uh, worth of work. And for, and, and not only are they not getting published or inserted into the packs, but now there's no pay. Well, uh, and then I'm assuming you can't even use that for your nope, personal those, portfolios either. Nope, nope, you're not allowed to use any of that because when you're working for a licensed, when you're working on licensed art, I mean, you have a non-disclosure agreement that you are signing. You can't discuss the details of this. You can't show the, um, you can't, you're not allowed to show any of your work until it has been approved. So if what I, what you're working you know, on now that no, I'm kidding. <laughs> right. <laughs> the, uh, 
but yeah, I mean, it's like you, none of that work that you do can be shown. And I get it. Um, I totally understand from their point of view, they're protecting their own property and that's sure. their, that's totally their right. They get to control how their characters are depicted. Um, uh, but seriously, like if, if the person reviewing is having a bad day and they just don't like your work for some reason, or they, they, you know, that, that can affect, um, your rejections. And so if you're with a company that is, uh, only paying you based on how many are accepted, then you're, you're kind of hosed, uh, in that, in that regard. So, bit, yeah. So, okay, you started doing all those cards and you started working on that, which uh, I love seeing all the posts on them and like, and, and you do different styles on there, which is what I love about you. You know, I see, you know, uh, some that are uh, kind of the watercolor, some that are more like pencil and marker. I, you know, I see all kinds of different ones that you have up there. Um, tell me a little bit about how you went from there to deciding to compile uh, Iconic. Sure. Well, I have for years, for years, I have always wanted, and it's kind of been like a bucket list thing for me. I've always wanted to have a collection of my own work uh, to be able to like have on my table to sell Um, just to even have, even if I only made one copy kind of like made it for myself kind of deal. Sure. Um, And uh, I've collected art books. I mean, my studio is full of, of art books, uh, instructional things, as well as like, um, just collections from other artists. I just can sit and just pour over those, you know, all day long. And so I wanted something like that, but of my work, but I never had enough, uh, of a consistent, uh, style or approach to, to, to put things together into, into a book, you know, um, but once I started doing these, these drip paintings, you know, they've all got the same format. They're all, you know, like six inches wide and about 18 inches long. And I really thought, okay, now I have enough pieces after, I mean, I really started compiling iconic. Uh, I think I finished wrapping up the uh, like assembly of the book digitally back in October of 2018. Um, and, uh, I had to curate, you know, the, the 50 pieces I wanted in the book. I had finally been to a point where I had created more work than I actually could put in the book. Feels good. Uh, (laughs) It does. It does. Uh, and the best part is, is I've already started compiling for another book. Um, I've already got about 26, 27 pieces that are, uh, that I strongly believe in that would go in that book that I believe are just like, you know, strong pieces, not just like, um, you know, quicker, sketchier versions of those paintings. Nice. So, um, but yeah. And so I finally like I curated all the pieces that I wanted to go in there. Uh, and there's a lot of pieces in there that never, I never made prints of. So there's a, you know, several exclusives that are only found in that book. Um, and I have a few friends who run various printing companies. So I just contacted uh, my friend Sam over at uh, uh, <clears throat> Print Lore. Print Lore. Shout out for Print Lore. I'll say it again. Sean. Print Lore. Spell it out. Right. P R I N T L O R E. Sam is a wonderful human being and has been with me since my first um, uh, printing of the uh, Surreality book. And so I have followed Sam in the various companies that she's worked with all in printing. And uh, now she's got her own company there. So I went with her. It was nice. a no brainer for me to do that. Um, yeah. And Sam and that'll help me. out independence and friends. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I totally went with Sam and she did a smashing job uh, with the book. Um, and my favorite part about it is because I'm, I'm a, I'm practical in a lot of ways. Um, I wanted to make sure that people could actually take these pieces out and hang them up if they wanted to without having to just, you know, take like a scalpel and cut them out or, you know, something like that. So I wanted, uh, so I basically have each piece has a perforated edge to the top of that book. Um, so they can all be like folded and just easily popped out and hung up and framed. Um, because obviously I'm an artist. I want your work on, or I want my work on your walls. Uh, but I also love art books. So I wanted it to be versatile. You could keep it as a book 
and totally flip through it and enjoy the pieces like that. Or you could pop them out, hang them up, give some away as Christmas presents or, you know, just, I love you gifts to people, uh, whatever. Um, yeah. I just wanted people to celebrate that artwork. And, and I gotta say, I, I have one of these books and, uh, you know, I, I love this thing. I got it. You did the Kickstarter for it a while back. Um, yeah. And uh, I was, as soon as I saw it, because I reached out to you like a week or two before you started the Kickstarter, because I'd always been wanting a, a commission piece from you, uh, which I still am going to end up turning into a tattoo. Uh, nice. But uh, I've always wanted one for many years. And I finally was like, I have some extra money. And I reached out to you and you're like, hey, wait about a week and a half. And there's <laughs> going to be a fun surprise. And I was like, oh, okay. And so um, I waited and, and there was a tier with like a commission piece on there. And and the book and I saw it and I was like, yes, this is, I get more for what I wanted, uh, more for my money than what I originally wanted. And so I was, I was on board immediately and, and I did finally get the thing and, and I love it. it. It is like, it's hefty. Like it's a legit looking book. So, you know, Sam at print Lord did a phenomenal job. I love it. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm moving in a, in hopefully in a couple of weeks, assuming everything, uh, wraps up out there, but, um, <laughs> we, uh, you know, I'm going to be hanging a bunch of those up, getting them framed, throwing them on the wall. I'm going to put the, uh, you did the oogie boogie for me. So oh, if you yes. go on to your, uh, 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 your Instagram, you have it posted on there. I just want everyone to know that was exclusive for me. So you guys yeah. can get prints. I got the original suck it. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> um, yes. see, that's, that's, that's the, uh, that's the best part is, you know, I created a nightmare before Christmas set, yeah. uh, that, that I released at the New York comic-con that year. Um, and that went, I mean, that was a phenomenal set. People, just just bought it up it was people loved it and oh, they still love it uh, but they're always movie. thinking about oh yeah it's great right um and uh so i had already done that little trio i had jack sally and zero and then when you were like oogie boogie i was like well perfect this can even go right along with that set mm -hmm. and i've already decided that this october i'm releasing uh another halloween themed trio from the nightmare before christmas uh of you got you. Uh, you got to guess. You it's guess lock, shock, and barrel. Of course it is. It has yes, to it be. <laughs> so it's lock, shock, and barrel. I'll have a, a trio of those three troublemakers as well to add. So that'll make a nice seven-image series of uh, Nightmare Before Christmas characters um, that will all appear in my next uh, book. Nice. That's real cool. You should do. You should add two more and make it an even nine, so it's a full saga, just like just like your Star Wars. It's a full nine nine. There we go. <laughs> you could do the mayor, and then get. Uh, uh, I don't know. You could pick another one, whoever you are. There you uh, go. Well, I was always a fan of the behemoth, the guy with the axe in his head, and you bunny. Oh, that, yeah, that's like yeah. the best line in the whole movie. <laughs> that's great. Well, then you'd have to do Sandy Claus. You know. So. Ooh, Sandy Claus, Oogie Boogie, and the Mayor. There you go. There that's you. that's that's 2021. Right there we go. There we go. Done. Done. <laughs> I'm I'm doing your job for you. I'm your new uh, uh, marketing producer. This is it. This is what you're doing. Perfect. I love it. <laughs> now pay me. Um, that right. yeah. <laughs> now pay me. <laughs> That'll be fifty dollars, please. Um, okay. <laughs> so we're doing iconic. You're working on surreality and everything. Let's just uh, let's just kind of go uh, uh, casual. Let's talk some comics. What are you What are you reading? What uh, What is getting you through these troubling times? Oh sure, sure. Well, it's funny. I was and painting. You know, <laughs> and my life is a set of series of troubling times, right? <laughs> um, so uh, I have been. Um, I have really been lacks on on reading current stuff uh, for a while. Um, I work so much that it's hard to to collect the books in general. Um, so I haven't ever I have stopped collecting like floppy copies of books for a long time sure. uh, and and basically now just into getting trades. Uh, but I was watching as I was painting a couple of weeks ago, I was started watching the um, the uh, Christopher Nolan Batman trilogy again. I just started, I just watched those again like two days ago. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah so I, I'm uh, I didn't finish it yet. I'm I'm uh, I'm on the uh, the Dark Knight Rises, uh, so I got two thirds of the way through. Um, but it made me want to go back and reread the uh, Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo uh, New Fifty Two Batman set. Did you like those? Oh, I loved those. Okay. Uh, the Court of Owls, I just really, I, I thought was really fantastic. The The Death of the Family was fantastic. Uh, Death of the Family 2. 
not the, right not the original right. yes correct the the new from the new 52 yeah um yeah i mean i just thought the i thought the dynamic between uh you know batman and the joker was was pretty fascinating you know uh ultimately i'm glad they rebooted everything yet again it seems like every three four years dc's like well this one was crappy let's just roll the dice and see if the next one will be any better yeah um, but uh but you know, I that being said, uh, Batman is pretty much the only DC book that I read. Sure, um, I have no animosity or hatred or dislike of the DC universe. But my formative years for comics included almost exclusively X Men and Marvel titles, um, yeah. because that's what I was introduced to. Um, and so I have a, a huge soft spot for all things, you know, X Men and the Avengers. Um, all that stuff. So, uh, you know, I've, I've reread, uh, several trades of those back to like, you know, schism, which was the, one of the big stories where Cyclops and Wolverine finally just had their, had their, you know, all out fight and it splintered the X-Men and which was fantastic. uh, It was, man. There's some, there's some really heart, heartfelt writing in those books, you know? Um, but I'm excited for it and I have not read them yet. The Jonathan Hickman X-Men, stuff that's been the house of x and the house of x yeah i think they have i think they have the the full uh trades out now for them okay i'm Um, gonna definitely pick those up i have the floppy copies of those and i I grew up i love x-men i grew up spider-man um mostly marvel i didn't really read any dc as a child i got into some image and and some other stuff like gen 13 and all that that stuff yeah Um, i love gen 13 that was fantastic but uh we uh i excuse me um picked up the house of x because there hasn't been a good x-men book in mm, 10 years maybe maybe less uh maybe more like it's been hit or miss you know i I picked up like i think i mentioned this in a different podcast i meant i picked up like the joss whedon i picked up like some of the other stuff uh oh yeah that was here and there i think um that joss whedon run was fantastic yeah and wasn't it john cassidy on there with the art Uh uh-huh yeah. yeah, and that was I like mean, I think that was like his last good art run. Now he's just like I'm Mister Same Pose Man. Everybody's standing with their legs apart, and I'm <laughs> oh. like, Get Jesus! Like I love Cassidy. He only really does uh, covers now, and they're not dynamic anymore. They're very static, and uh. it's very sad for me. Although he did, he did a, a Luke Skywalker run that I was reading, and I think was pretty good. Oh, um, nice, nice. That I liked. But uh, definitely check out that House of X, Powers of X. Now, did you did you go all the way back to like Claremont with like uh, uh, the Phoenix Saga and all that? Oh stuff? yeah, yeah. I I mean I that stuff. Even when I started picking up, I'm thinking I started picking up comics like really, really around 1993. That was a couple of years before I graduated high school. Yeah, I was born at the end of the 70s, so I'm you know as as I'm pushing. I'm I'm 43 now, yeah. and. Uh, you know, so I'm, I've, I've got a little bit of uh, time on, um, a lot of my peers out there, um, in the, in the artist alley. But the nice thing is, is a lot of us are also, uh, you know, it's such a wide range of people out there. <laughs> That's uh, very true. So, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I've got, I've got the old, uh, like dark Phoenix saga. And, um, I think the big story that was coming out uh, within the year or so that I can actually recall was like the, um, uh, the story, um, fatal attractions, I think sure. where, um, Magneto finally pulls out the adamantium from, uh, yeah, it was, Wolverine. Uh, it was X-Men number 25. I have that foil cover, uh, issue. It took me, it had like a hologram on it, yeah. didn't it? Or something a little like, like hologram, like card size hologram on it. I, I, I went on a hunt for that and I found a pretty good copy of it just cause I wanted to have it. And I read it when I was a kid, but it, that is, that is an excellent run. I enjoyed nineties were tough, man. They were a rough time for comics. Like that's when I started reading too. And I remember loving it. Like I remember reading Spider-Man clone saga, uh, and Wolverine and like X-Men and all that stuff. And I was like, these are great. Oh, that clone saga was nuts. Oh, it was, it was too much. I go back and I look at all these things from the nineties and like <laughs> versus, you know, a, 
aside from like a couple of them, most of the stuff that happened in the nineties was God awful. I mean, you had like the death of Superman, you had like image being founded. Um, I think vertigo popped up late nineties. Like you had some good things happen, but for the most part, the nineties was terrible time for comics. It's it's interesting how like you start seeing, and I always try to think of things like musically. I was aware of this long before long before I was aware of like visual or storytelling uh, trends, I was aware of musical trends because it's, it's all a cycle. It's, yeah. it's literally, everything is a cycle here. Uh, and that's probably the same with life too. You know, I'm not trying to get, you know, metaphysical or spiritual about it, but um, like in, in music, you know, if, if, if guitar driven rock is a big thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, uh, arena filling, you know, hair metal was the trend. And then, you know, that had really played itself out. I mean, everybody, it was so ingrained in, you know, for that span of five, six years or whatever, that it was just the big thing. Then suddenly here comes little Nirvana with their one guitar and their one drummer and the one bass player and a really gritty, raspy voice and totally uh, was like a battle ax to all of those guys' heads. I mean, it was just like, and off with the hair metal, this guy just kind of came in and, and declared a new, grittier, more raw, like I would, I would even go more real form of music than the slick, polished, um, you know, sex-driven hair really metal Really produced, stuff. yeah. Yeah. And, here, and, you know, and then that's where we get, you get your, and even within that like grunge era, of, of music we still had variety you had alice and chains and soundgarden were these real dark bands yep. and then pearl jam was just like basically a jam band with a baritone singer and you had you know nirvana which was the most experimental of the group i would have to say and you know, but you've got all of these bands and right but then there's a reaction to that then there's lighter alternative rock that kind of comes out of that you got bands like the cranberries and the gin blossoms and <laughs> yep. all these bands start popping up you know, because now we're, we're, we still love guitar, but we're tired of necessarily the grit and the, gr- and the grunge. We want to clean things up a little bit or just feel good about life again, you know? So here we are now, we're going to, we're going to start listening to these bands. And the next genre that becomes popular always seems to be a reaction to what is current. Yep. Uh, and, but the thing is, is all these bands are kind of existing at the same time while grunge is going on hair bands are still doing their thing but it's just dropping off it's like every day they're losing fans or they're losing money you know they're not making as much as they did meanwhile while grunge is going on those other lighter bands are starting to do some up-and-coming stuff right you know you're so it's like that but it's the same thing with stories and so while the uh the stories of the 80s were definitely not as in your face in the comics world then all of a sudden comes the nineties and uh, alike the nineties in general, when you look at nineties commercials and you look at nineties movies and everything, everything is just like, it's literally like a fever dream. Everything <laughs> is. is so weird. And it's like the colors are so bright and so garishly opposed to each other. And everything is just like, what is, what is going on? Right. But you, you don't necessarily see that when it's happening. You always see that kind of after the fact or when somebody who's not, really sucked into all of that kind of points it out and then you see it and then you can't unsee it. You know, yeah. it's like, you know, it's like it's you're true. out of the matrix, you know? And it's funny, especially with like comics and stuff, it it is all kind of very cyclical with trends and like, and they'll do that. Uh, I'm, I'm an optician. So I see these trends more in like optical fashion, whereas like in the seventies and eighties, you had these really huge glasses and then the nineties and the early two thousands, everything got real small and now oversized is way back in. And I see that in like the comic world, like it's almost more obvious that they're doing it because like you look at the 80s you have one of the more influential things in marvel was the secret wars which gave us you know one of the most iconic new revamped suits for a character that they've had since the 60s even spider-man in his black suit and then you know doom was all of that and then you had um you know all these different things happened civil war was in the early 2000s and it's funny because if you look about every like eight to ten years you'll see the same thing at least nowadays you see it like again like they have another civil war they have another secret wars they have you know all these 
events that they already did they're doing again and like dc has like you know like infinite crisis final crisis like everything in dc seems to be a crisis which is like let's calm down it's not that bad but uh well i love when it's like infinite crisis by nature doesn't that mean it will never resolve are you guys just telling us about your company or is this (laughs) actually exactly (laughs) it's ridiculous and so like and and with comics mainstream mostly marvel dc even sometimes image not so much but like it the character nobody dies so you always have these stories being retold because you can't it's so hard to find something new and to write about because it's all been done because spider-man's been around since you know 63 you know batman's been around since the 40s like how many more stories can you tell so i yeah and i think that's that's really that you've really nailed it with that and i think the as much as we love I, as much as I love the X-Men and as much as I love the Avengers, that's the one Achilles heel of these, of these franchises like this is, you know, we're, we're not going to kill any of these characters. And if we do, it's never going to be permanent. They might be gone for a number of years. You know how Captain America was gone for how long after he died at the yeah. end of civil war, you know, uh, quote unquote died. Right. Yeah. We saw him, get you know his shot in the back of the neck and blood spatter we saw a funeral we saw his corpse everybody confirmed he was dead right they were really selling us on the fact that he was dead and then of course you know he's not dead um yeah i mean and the and the the sad part is like they had a good run sam had a good run bucky had a good run like with the shield like those were doing well those were good titles and like you, you look at like uh uh, like Superman died in the nineties and like they made it a big point and everything and they sold it. And like, it was this, each page was like one big splash of like this huge battle they have. And then, you know, of course he comes back to life and everything. And, and, Cause and you, you can't kill your breadwinner. You no. can't kill the thing that is keeping people coming back for every month, oh, every yeah. week for more stories. The and that's crazy- where the, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. The crazy thing is someone once told me that uh, at least in like storytelling, like all good things must come to an end. And that's why uh, I've found that like independent stuff like image or like these random one-offs that are like trades or, or graphic novels tend to have a better, more fulfilling story. Now, you know, within each character, Spider-Man, uh, X-Men, uh, Green Lantern, whoever it may be, you can um, find good runs and good arcs that have their own stories. But as a whole, you, you know, it's it's hard to read the same character for 20 years when you've got, right. you know, seven different writers on it and half of them are terrible and two of them are great and the art is awful. And, you know, it just goes back and forth. So yeah. it's, it, it's a it's a weird world we live in with comics. It is, and that's why I think I'm the the comics that I'm mostly attracted to are things like the Sandman, which is my ultimate favorite of oh, all yeah. time. I have my wife got me the uh, alt, the what is it the absolute editions of that. Which, if you're not familiar with those, those are like the big, oversized like hardcover versions that are just like they got like slip cases and everything like that. Oh, yeah. And that they released the whole Sandman set into four separate absolute editions. I mean, these uh, things look like they're like the old, like, uh, uh, like wizard books where you put it out and it like thuds on the gotta, table you, and it's dusted off just to hold it. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They are, they're, they're great. They're, uh, and so I've got, I've got those. Um, and those are the things that like, I read that, uh, or I'll read like, um, you know, like one of the, one of the weirdest and, and like most satisfying books, but it's totally for adults only. You would never want your kids reading the book. I mean, like I don't know under any circumstances. Um, it's a, it's a comic I kind of stumbled upon through uh, Twitter. Um, and, uh, it's called I roved out. I roved out. Yes. It's a web comic. Uh, oh. and, um, uh, the, uh, the artist's name is, is Alexis. Ah, uh, man, I can't think of who it is off the top of my head. Um, Alexis Flowers, that's who it is. Um, and he's a guy out of like Winnipeg, Canada. And uh, he, he produces this, this web comic about, um, about these two elves who are totally like different personalities. And, uh, you know, the one is just like wanting to go out into the woods and slut it up and you know that's kind of the thing but then she gets wrapped up in this adventure because it's all kind of like medieval-ish and 
you know, that was, that's kind of the, the tag on the back of the book is why can't a girl go into the woods and slut it up anymore? You know, and it's, it's hilarious. The artwork is like out of this world. Amazing. Yeah. Um, I just pulled it up right now and I'm looking at some of this on my phone. I believe it's called, I roved out in search of truth and love. Yes. And the, the little tagline is a warmly pornographic fantasy saga. Oh, it's, it's, it, it is, it's got a lot of heart and it is, it is, it is just utterly fantastic. Uh, I bought, uh, the vo- both volumes that he's produced so far and they're tomes. They're not even like, like books. They're kind of like ultimate editions or, or like absolute editions of the DC books. They're just, they're just monstrous, like 300 pages a piece. Now you can and, get uh, these printed and everything. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They're bound, and uh, you can get them right on uh, right through his website. Okay, um, I'll, I'll have to take a but, look. This art is is fantastic. Just yeah, it's it's just wonderful the way that he's able to like the way he portrays the the figures, uh, the mood and the lighting and everything. What is like really tightly rendered, and then what is kind of just left because it's unimportant. So it's kind of left a little, um, you know, not, not quite as developed, which is just a fan. I mean, that's, that's art. You're, yeah, you're supposed you, to do that. You draw um, your focus. Right. Not everything is super sharp <laughs> with, you know, not everything in your field of vision is super sharp. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, Ooh, so that's, uh, speaking of which I love this and, and, and I want to, uh, I'm definitely gonna check that out. But, uh, speaking of that kind of focus thing, you saw the new, um, new is like two years ago or a year ago, um, new Spider-Man, the Miles Morales one into the Spider-Verse. Like Mm -hmm. the way they did that with like, uh, what the characters in focus and the background isn't, but they have like it drawn over. So it's like really like fuzzy and fluid like that. The artwork they used uh, on that was incredible. Just absolutely stunning to see something like that put on, on screen. Cause it really did look like, a comic book come to life, which I know a lot of different things were trying to do that and kind of failed. No, but they did it. They were the first ones who like totally knocked it out of the park. Oh, completely. 100%. This was, this was something we'd never seen. No, not at all. And the story was so, so beyond amazing. I I really fell in love with the movie. Even, you know, my wife, um, she likes a lot of the Marvel cinematic universe movies and they're um, fantastic. Yeah, they are. And, uh, but she's not super into comics. Uh, she likes them, but she's just not like a, a, a big fan of them in general. But um, even she really just loved that movie. And uh, it, it, it's a testament to good storytelling. It doesn't matter how you, uh, how you tell a good story, but especially with comics, since it's a visual medium, the, com- the, the artwork and the story have to be, have to be there. They, you can't just have one or the other. No. No, um, or else you get the '90s again. Yeah, <laughs> Jesus. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, and I believe if I'm, and again, I'll have to fact check myself. But I think this is right. That the it was Phil Lord and Tim something, I, Lord and Miller. I want to say Tim Miller uh, were the directors. Uh, at least I know that I think they wrote some of it too. Uh, sure. They were supposed to do the solo movie because they were the guys that did like the Lego movie and that kind of stuff. And they were on solo uh, for a while and they filmed a bunch of it. And then Disney uh, was not very happy with the way that the, it was going. Uh, and they brought in. Yeah. Ron I know that um, it, from what I remember. Um, yeah. The reasons that those guys were asked to leave solo. Uh, Kathleen Kennedy. Differences. <laughs> yeah. You know, but what's interesting is, you know, like when you're in charge of a franchise like star Wars, and Han Solo is, is kind of that hapless, you know, stumbles into victory just as much as it is from his planning, right? When Solo <laughs> yep. plans things, it's not always often successful, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, but, you know, so you've got a, you've got a guy who's kind of like that. And I think they, um, they really were treating it more as a comedy. They were treating it as, you know, and so I think when you, it, it really wouldn't fit with everything else in the, in the universe. And I don't want to see Han Solo being just like a, you know, a, a comedic character. I want that, that roguish uh, good luck that seems to somehow pop up all the time for this character. And he's getting sure. beat up and roughed up just as much as he wins, but that, is, you know, his personality shines through and his determination is always there. Yeah. Um, no, I, I liked I, Solo. Know. I think it was a good movie. Um, is it my favorite? No. Um, I, I think, uh, with a lot of the Star Wars stuff that's come out lately, like it has been 
fairly formulaic uh, to the point where, uh, what was it? Uh, what was the first one? Uh, the first the Force uh, Awakens. The Force Awakens was a basic carbon copy of Last Hope, uh, New Hope, um, where it's like this is based. I've seen this movie before, uh, but I liked the original graphics better. I liked them all, but like I would have loved to have seen them do something completely different with the Solo movie or or one of the movies where it just feels like it's not a Star Wars movie, but it still holds the character. I was kind of excited for for the for the original part with uh, Lord and Miller, and then you know I, I've got no problem with Ron Howard. He's done some phenomenal movies, uh, but. Uh, I think it would have been cool to go with someone not as safe as. Uh, oh Lord sure, I mean, there's always. Uh, Howard. Yeah, no, I I feel you. The um, it's interesting. You know, we could talk about this forever. I'm sure, but forever. You know, like I'm I'm a I'm a. I come from the mentality that I'm just glad there's more Star Wars. Me too. I've loved, <laughs> right, I've loved it my whole life. And, you know, people are going to agree to disagree or totally beat each other up over their opinions of these, of these new movies. Um, but, but a couple of the funny things that I think that really, I, I just shook my head and like face palmed over. Um, and that's like a double face palm, both hands, uh, to the face, uh, kind of thing where, where the, um, people who were so violently against the prequels now love them because they watched the new movies and hate them so much. It makes the prequels look better is, is how they put it. And that now they're like big fans of the prequels. And I'm just like, you people, you just, you just want to hate on something because it wasn't the way you would have done it. But, you know, it's like, well, you don't own the stories. You, you're not in charge of their safekeeping. And, and thank God for that. Yes. <laughs> you, Haters going to hate man. And, and yeah. there's no, there's no way around it. And okay, you know, we before we before like we dive, things, before oh, we no, dive, we don't have to dive anywhere. I know it's because this could go on like Star Wars alone. <laughs> you could do like a six-hour podcast on. Um, oh, sure, but uh, I do. We, we we're going to wrap this up. This has been f- fantastic. Um, so on our signing off, say uh, uh, tell everybody where they can find you. Give us your handles, your tags, your Facebooks, yeah. your Instagrams, your website. So you can find me uh, on Instagram. That's where I hang out the most. Uh, I'm there at it's it's Caleb underscore King, so C A L E B underscore K I N G. Nice, uh, that's me. Um, and then uh, in uh, Twitter, same handle at Caleb mm-hmm. underscore King. Uh, Facebook, you can just find me under the Caleb King, and mm-hmm. uh, that's also the name of my website uh, where you can go and see like my portfolio of work, as well as you know shop for prints and books and all that good stuff. That's uh, thecalebking.com. Love it. Um, I personally have a lot of his work. I would definitely check this out. Uh, go support your local artists. That's what it's all about. Don't go buy art from like Target and crap like that. Get get stuff. Uh, check out Caleb King. Uh, I love it. I've known you a while, man. Thank you for doing this. I really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, stay safe out there. Enjoy. Keep working. Keep uh, creating and doing all that. Oh, man. Thank you. I, I appreciate the love and the support, man. You're the best. Thank you.